the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. When Martin Luther, <clears throat> excuse me, when Martin Luther was just a simple monk in Germany, he was driving himself and everyone around him insane because he was constantly visiting the confessional after every minor infraction he committed. Luther describes this part of his life as spiritual despair. Martin Luther later recalled, I lost touch with the Christ, with Christ the Savior and Comforter, and made him the jailer and hangman of my poor soul. His abbot decided that Brother Martin needed a responsibility that would exhaust him so that he would stop tormenting everyone in the monastery. Brother Martin was then assigned to teach Greek and New Testament at the local seminary. From there, he developed his theology that would later bring forth the Reformation. And one could say that the rest is history. Martin Luther's experience was something that I think we can all relate to. Wanting to appease God, but worrying about it in a way that can cause significant spiritual injury. Sometimes we can take a militant approach to wanting to appease God. Can we honestly say we know Christ if we are more concerned with religious legalism that does not give life or is at its very core filled with the same mercy shown to us 2,000 years ago? In this morning's epistle reading, Paul lists out his credentials, and they are impeccable. No one can question them. You know, I find it very funny how Paul is very proud of all the things he has done, but he does this to make a point. He has the education, the religious authority, the social pedigree to go far in his society. After all, he is a Roman citizen, a high-ranking member of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee, and a fervent and efficient persecutor of heretics. Yet something is missing from the equation. The missing piece was revealed to him on the road to Damascus. In his own words, Paul informs us, to, Paul informs us that his pedigree and credentials pale compared to what Jesus Christ gave him when he entered his life. According to him, God has shown him a type of freedom and peace that is not based on following the law perfectly, but based on God's generous and freely given grace. Ultimately, it was not his position, power, or the fact that he came from the right tribe, or that he was a citizen of Rome, that finally liberated him. God and the grace shown to him on the road to Damascus ultimately gave him his freedom. Knowing God's grace cleanses us from our past 
and, give us, and gives us new life in Him. There is a temptation among modern Christians to rely on an almost imitation form of grace. What I mean by this is that we are tempted to almost create a cheap grace for ourselves without God. We want all the forgiveness and none of the work. We want to come to church to feel good. And sometimes we do that by obsessing with the rules. We sometimes seem more concerned with presenting ourselves and our loved ones to the world as everything is perfect, ideal, okay, fine, nothing is wrong. You know, I think Paul would disagree with that type of lifestyle, with this cheap grace. And our attempts to look good as a sign of divine blessing is wrong. You know, Paul, in many ways, lost everything. He became a stranger to his own people. And his former allies became his enemies. He was publicly humiliated, beaten, arrested, and finally executed for his faith. Nothing is put together about Paul's missionary work, but he was faithful, and I think that is more important. You know, there's this belief that being a Christian is supposed to give us neat lives, but this is not true. We know this. Being Christian means remembering that we are not perfect or complete, but fulfilled. Martin Luther realizes this. He knew that the grace of God would ultimately liberate him. Although following the rules and having rules is important, but making an idol of the law will bring us ruin. But it is believing that no matter how twisted, how demented this world might feel at times, it is our faith, the one built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, that will liberate us. Bring us to that heavenly country where there is no pain or suffering. Our lives as followers of the cross tend to be full of love, thank God, but also heartbreak and joy, but never perfect, never easy, but somehow sufficient. You see what ultimately energizes Paul is not the legalism of following the law correctly, is that he is presented with a sort of radical forgiveness even after he killed Christians. Being loved in such an otherworldly way makes Paul change course and accept the gospel in his heart. What I'm trying to say here, folks, is that ultimately what saves us and the world from the snares of sin will be how much and how willing we are to be vulnerable, to show our spiritual scars to the world, so that through our wounds, we may let others know that although we are unworthy of Christ, 
he still loves us. So it is our great imperfections that only serve to heighten the power of the gospel, that our position, our wealth, and all other worldly pursuits can ultimately leave us bankrupt. You know, this letter was written in a time of Paul's life where being sent to Rome, where he was being sent to Rome to be tried for his faith. Yet the letter is optimistic. And I think Paul in his heart of hearts knew that he was probably going to be executed. Yet he is undeniably hopeful even as he nears death. We cannot help but sense that his life in Christ was worth the trials and tribulations. My friends, no matter what the world presents us, whether it be power, fame, glory, or wealth, it must all be regarded as a loss because of Christ. Everything but the truth of the gospel can only be described as rubbish, as Paul puts it. So be courageous in your lives. And know that we share in the sufferings of Christ so that we may obtain the resurrection of the dead. Amen.